to autumn by John Keats. Seasons of mist and mellow fruitfulness, close bosom friend of the maturing sun, conspiring with him how to load and bless with fruit the vines that round the thatch eaves run, to bend with apples the mossed cottage trees and fill all fruits with ripeness to the core, to swell the gourd and plump the hazel shells with a sweet kernel, to set budding more and still more, later flowers for the bees, until they think warm days will never cease, for summer has o'erbrimmed their clammy cells. Who hath not seen thee oft amid thy store? Sometimes whoever seeks abroad may find thee sitting careless on a granary floor, thy soft lifted by the winnowing wind, or on a half-reaped furrow sound asleep drowsed with the fume of poppies, while they hook, spares the neck swathe and all its twined flowers. And sometimes, like a gleaner, thou dost keep steady thy laden head across a brook, or by a cider press with patient look, thou watchest the last oozings, hours by hours. Where are the songs of spring? Ay, where are they? Think not for them. Thou hast thy music too. While barred clouds bloom the soft dying day And touch the stubble plains with rosy hue Then a wailful choir the small gnats mourn Among the river's sallows borne aloft Or sinking as the light wind lives or dies And full-grown lambs loud bleat from hilly born Hedge crickets sing And now with treble soft The red breast whistles from a garden croft And gathering swallows twitter in the skies In a letter to John Hamilton Reynolds, John Keats wrote, They say men near death, however mad they may have been, come to their senses. How beautiful the season is now, how fine the air, a temperate sharpness about it. Really, without joking, chast weather, I never like stubble fields so much as now. Aye, better than the chilly green of the spring. Somehow a stubble field looks warm, in the same way that some pictures look warm. This struck me so much in my Sunday's walk that I composed upon it. In this edition of the Wade Deacon Poetry Podcast, we will discuss John Keats's masterful lament on his favourite season, Two Autumn. Scholars have unanimously decreed that Two Autumn is one of the most perfect poems in the English language, despite being Keats's last. Walter Evert called it the only perfect poem that Keats ever wrote. Although some scholars differ on this point, the view is more or less that Two Autumn is the last of John Keats's famous 1819 odes. Composed after an evening walk near Winchester, it's also one of the last poems that Keats ever wrote. His money was fast running out, he devoted himself to travel, and just over a year later, he died in Rome. Two Autumn is one of Keats's most sensual, image-laden poems. It's a sumptuous description of the season of autumn in a three-stanza structure, each of 11 lines of an A-B-A-B rhyme scheme. The first stanza deals primarily with the atmosphere of autumn, while the second addresses autumn in the style of a female goddess, with a trace of the homemaker about her, and the third stanza goes back to the beauty of autumn, 
advising her not to mourn the loss of springtime for there is ample life in herself. It's also worth noting that in Keats's other famous odes, he chose to write only 10 line stanzas, whereas in this poem, as we just mentioned, he chose to write 11. Scholars vary in their opinion of why Keats chose to do this. However, it is generally agreed that Keats simply needed the extra line, not only to convey his love for the season, but also in order to fit everything which the season has to offer into a single stanza. John Keats was known to be a poet of the senses, and in this poem, To Autumn, he truly conveys this. The first stanza is a celebration of autumn. Keats employs gorgeous, long-vowled imagery to reference the abundance which autumn provides. Although autumn has been taken in much of British literature as the start of death, as a melancholy time, Keats has actually taken it here as a fruitful period of existence. There is strong evidence of energy and beauty in the poem, as he writes with fruit the vines that round the thatch eaves run, to bend with apples the mossed cottage trees. And the atmosphere that is created in the first stanza is ultimately one of peacefulness. That is not to say that there isn't an undercurrent of melancholy running through the poem. Of course there is, but we'll get to that later. The idea, for example, of being full of ripeness to the core produces the parallel imagery of a climax. This is the ultimate glory of autumn, the last hurrah before the freezing grip of winter. The flow of sibilant sounds in lines 9 through to 11 creates an easy flowing rhythm. However, the reader does get the sense that Keats is building up to something quite grand. Also, it is worth noting that this poem conveys Keats's relaxed tone of voice. John Keats was never considered one of the highbrow poets, and in fact he faced criticism for his adherence to simple language. John Keats stated that he believed, quite honestly, that poetry did not need to be complicated to be worth something. I agree, John. But the overall simplicity of Two Autumn is staggering. Even the imagery is clear-cut something that Keats has occasionally struggled with in previous poems. The feeling of freedom into autumn goes on well into the second stanza, but here Keats leans in closer. He doesn't view autumn still from a wider perspective, but he personifies the season itself. To make it perhaps easier for his reader to empathise with the season that he is so painstakingly bringing to life. In the second stanza, Autumn is viewed as a fertile female goddess, but again with an undercurrent of sadness at the impending death of the season. Keats's dichotomy of beautiful women with an edge of cruelty to them is hardly something staggering, as it's one of the ideas that is brought up quite strongly in his poetry. It could be because Keats himself was unlucky in love, and so he drew on his experience to draft the women in his poems. Keats gives the reader an extended period of time to observe the beauty of autumn in this stanza, from the oozings hours by hours of the cider press, as we are still drowsed with the fume of poppies in the previous lines. Keats's love for the season absolutely drips off the page as he describes this autumnal scene for us. Personally, I have always felt that the start of the final stanza is by far the saddest the most melancholic, and quite far removed from the tone of the others. In the last stanza, 
Keats, I know to myself, are mourning the loss of spring, and the season longs to hear the songs which now elude them. Keats writes, Think not of them, for thou hast thy music too. Explaining that autumn is just as beautiful as spring, and perhaps even more so. He shows this by diving again into the gorgeous imagery, describing the sun setting over the land, the stubbled land, and the insects that come out at night, the animals that were born in springtime and are now full-grown, and the birds that one can find in autumn. However, as with all of Keats's poems, that melancholy shows up once again in the last stanza, as Keats's use of words such as soft, dying, mourn and bleat present a semantic field of sadness and death, as autumn is passing into the oncoming winter. Also present, and beautifully subtle, is the red breast, which is synonymous with Christmas and, again, the onset of wintertime. Throughout the poem, Keats alludes to the pastoral tradition in poetry, a form of poetic writing that celebrates the idea of the countryside and focuses primarily on the descriptions of the surroundings. Although one of the simplest of Keats's poems and one of the most quiet in terms of plot, it remains one of his most lauded works. Although not much happens in it, it is, after all, following on from the pastoral tradition. The beauty of Keats's language and the skill of his mastery showed that John Keats's talent was really just beginning at the time of his death.